Good morning, Bucknutters. It is Sunday, October 10th. I am Dan Rubin. This is Almost Live, our in-season Sunday morning podcast. Joined, as always, on Sundays by the People's Champ, Matt Baxendell. Bax, I was at Ohio Stadium yesterday. Quite foggy for the morning. Burned off. Very hot day. Very hot quarterback. How are you this morning? Well, I don't think anybody in Buckeye Nation's having a bad day today after the way that game went yesterday. And with the way that the country keeps being completely insane with the way a lot of these teams are playing around us, it sure seems like Ohio State continuing to improve in the last four weeks in a very clear upward trajectory is uh, only going to pay dividends. And it's safe to say at this point, I think OSU is firmly back in the big mix nationally. And they look like they've figured out whatever was problematic with them early in the season. That's for sure. All goals remain intact. Ohio State whacks Maryland 66-17. to Maryland gets an early field goal on a long drive, as we are wont to see from our defense. And then Ohio State just absolutely takes over. We will discuss many positive aspects, but having been there and seen things up close for the first time, Man, C.J. Stroud had a really good game. He looked really comfortable. He looked decisive. He was accurate. He was mobile in the pocket. I thought he had a complete understanding of what Ryan Day wanted. He was one of the best players on the field. I can't remember thinking that before. I, um, I kind of thought he was a maestro before just kind of using his pieces, but he was excellent yesterday. How enthused are you about the growth of the quarterback? The general consensus is he must have been hurt and hurt enough that it was a problem because he looks great. Yeah, it's night and day. Uh, Whatever we were all questioning, C.J. Stroud coming out of the Tulsa game, those questions were very fair. The reality is the guy was not running the ball when he had the opportunities. He wasn't completing the intermediate and shorter passes that extend drives. Look what he's done the last two games. Ten touchdowns, zero interceptions. He's picking up yards on the ground whenever they're there, and he needs to take them. He's, his accuracy, he's completing like 72 or 3% of his passes the last two games. I mean, this is, this is a night and day difference for C.J. Stroud. And you can't tell me, well, the competition sucks. I mean, this was against Tulsa he was struggling. He, he clearly was injured. That's the simple answer. And ever since he's gotten back to healthy – I don't know what the Heisman list looks like, but if he keeps playing like this, he's going to be near the top of it by the end of the year because this kid looks night and day. This is the C.J. Stroud that in August all of us expected to see in a video game world. And in Big Ten play now, Dan, he's 3-0. and He has 14 touchdowns and one interception. <laughs> so I dare say that the uh, the guy is doing a pretty good job. But the difference, man, is the little things here. It's, remember we talked about empty calorie yards against Oregon? There's no fear for him right now to have to do what he has to do to get first downs. And at the end of the day, also, he's benefiting from the emergence of Trevion Henderson, an offensive line that's more and more comfortable as the the season goes on. The reality is C.J. Stroud right now. I don't know if I can name a quarterback who's playing better than him in the country right now. I don't think there is one, to be honest. And that's a very scary thing because if you look around the rest of the Big Ten, nobody has an offense like this. 
In fact, you look around the country, there's very few teams that can play offense like Ohio State is right now. C.J. Stroud clearly was hurt and clearly is the quarterback of now and for the rest of the year and next year until he goes to the NFL. He looks like another first-round pick. And that's not something we said early in the season. That week off did him wonders. It's a shame the Buckeyes have next week off with the way this team is playing right now. Mark Porter is working on his eye in the sky, and we will determine this, but I do want to credit the offensive line. Stroud had plenty of time to throw. He was able to get comfortable early. It looked to me like Maryland was intent on not letting Travion Henderson have a bonanza of a day. That meant the guys were in man coverage. And let's just say this. There may be different receivers to come through here that are tremendous, but you can't put three better college receivers on the field at one time. These guys are so good. It is really a treat to watch them in person. The one guy who just jumps out at you, though, when you're in person is Garrett Wilson. He is open on almost every single play. I'm not kidding. You could throw that guy could average 15 receptions of the a game and they could still be successful. Smith Najigba is incredible. Olave is tremendously smooth and, and great at working down the field. Rucker did drop an easy pass, but even Kate Stover get out, got in on the act. Ryan Day also feels like he hit a stride yesterday. What do you think about that? Ohio State's receivers are so good that the number one receiver on Alabama by a wide margin had to transfer from Ohio State to even get playing time. That's about the best way to put it because these guys are lights out good. C.J. Stroud's hitting them in stride with the ball, but tell you what, some of these touchdowns, like, for example, the one that Garrett Wilson scored on the fourth and short near the goal line, he, the defender was completely beat after two quick steps by, by, by Wilson heading to the back pylon. That is textbook how you can beat a defensive back with your shoulder motion and, and one quick motion with your feet. Wilson was wide open by two strides and the ball was on the three yard line. Like, I don't know how you can beat anybody worse than that short of a distance. That was a called play. That's not like CJ Stroud, you know, sitting back there and choosing. That's a called play. If you remember in the national championship game, they were in a similar situation. It was only third down. And he beat Patrick Sertan off the line in a short space the same way. And Fields just missed the throw. So there's nobody Wilson can't. I mean, Patrick Sertan is starting day one in the NFL as a quality player. Some NFL team is going to get a really, really good receiver in Garrett Wilson. Dude, the reality is Olave and Wilson are going to go in the first round this year, and JSN's going in the first round next year. And the guys beneath them probably eventually have a shot at it too, but we haven't seen enough of them. But we were very high on what the, the potential is for some of these younger guys, like Buka, who's all over the place oh in the turn game and has had a couple special moments this year, Marvin Harrison Jr. But these top three are just so good that there's no way you can take them off the field. And if this team had just one or two guys that were this good, their numbers would be video game stuff. And Ohio State lately hasn't even had to play full games because the way they're pummeling teams. So at this point, you have to feel like Ohio State's receivers are the best in the country and nobody else is really close. And I I don't think that's debatable, even from an outside perspective on Ohio State. That is the best trio of receivers in the country. I don't know anybody who's going to debate that at this point. Yeah, great balance, too. Seven receptions for Olave, five each for Wilson and Smith Najigba, four touchdowns between them. Smith Najigba did not score, but had the longest reception of the day and had 103 yards. Just tremendous. Travion Henderson, even four receptions for 66, seven yards and a touchdown. And like you said, Egg Buka looks tremendous. The future is very bright at receiver. 
Let's talk about the defense a little bit. I had wondered why Steel Chambers didn't play more. Seeing him in person, there is no way they can keep this guy off the field. Did you see the play he made at the end of the first quarter? That's a very special play that, that linebackers don't always make. He led the team in tackles. He had, he had a sack. That kid is – he and Cody Simon are really elevating. And not that Taraja Mitchell's played badly. He's been at least consistently good this year. But Steel Chambers and Cody Simon are the two linebackers that pop out at you when you watch them. And, you know, I remember thinking during Chambers' recruitment that he was a better linebacker than a running back. Thank God he gave up the running back ghost because he is a difference maker potential player at linebacker for OSU. And the only thing with these linebackers that you have any fear about is there's not a lot of healthy ones right now on scholarship. But I, I think Steel Chambers is going to be a bigger and bigger and a bigger role as the year goes on. You have to feel really good about the evolution of the linebackers because at one point we weren't sure what the heck we even had at the position. And now we're sitting here like, man, we have a couple of really good ones. What was your general vibe on the defense? Much improved. Um, I actually even saw some stuff from the defensive ends that started to look a little bit better. Um, I think the defensive ends combined for three sacks in this game. Zach Harrison had a little bit more spring, uh, you know, making a few plays. So that was a good sign. Uh, I liked what I saw across the board, really. And the young defensive backs continued to play well. Look, I'm not going to get too worried about that Rakeem Jarrett long touchdown. It was in crunk, or junk time against the backups on defense, and he's one of the best receivers in the country. The, the reality is, is that Maryland was throwing the ball the entire second half, mostly against OSU's backups, who are getting in the game like they should be against a team like this when you're winning this big. Uh, and by the way, the defense having four straight games with the defensive touchdown is mind-boggling. Uh, it, it's night and day, because if you look what the defense has done since the Oregon game, uh, if you go to plus minus where you subtract the points that they score on uh, defensive touchdowns from the points they give up, they have given up a total. And this I thought about this last night and I, I was just laughing about it a little bit. They have given up a total in the last four games of 29 points. <laughs> Their plus minus is 29 points. That's the defense being responsible for an average of seven points against over the last four games when you include their touchdowns that they score while they're on the field. And that'll win you pretty much every football game. So we're seeing a defense that continues to get better and better and better every week. And if the defense continues to play at this level, as you get into some of the better teams um, that are going to be on Ohio State's schedule, then we're going to be very pleased with the way this season pans out. It's not going to be the kind of defense that we can expect to shut someone out or hold someone to 10 points if they have a good offense. Now, that's a key point. You look at the teams in the Big Ten that they're going to be going against, uh, Michigan, Penn State, even Iowa, they don't have the offenses to threaten Ohio State, in my opinion. No, and they that's don't pass happen. the ball very well. A team with a really good offense is going to give Ohio State trouble. Let's just deal with that right now. Everybody knows it. I'm not saying they'll beat Ohio State, but a team with a really good offense is going to score some points on them. We have, a tr we have trouble in the secondary. The reason Bryson Shaw plays is Lathan Ransom gets back there. Those two guys just aren't great free safeties. Ronnie Hickman plays hard. He's out of position at times, but he's a decent player. They just aren't a great defense. They're very good, but they're not great. And I don't even think the upside is to be great. Here's what I would say. Going forward long term, 
Sawyer and Tuomolau are going to be dominant. Sawyer, I can tell right now, he's a little undersized, but he is the edge guy that gets a pressure almost every time he's in there. He drew a holding call when he was in. They sub a lot up front. We still don't see enough Tyleek Williams. I don't get that. I just don't no, get it. No, he's the best defensive lineman on the team, not Nate I just don't get it. They used him actually on the sideline when Thayer Munford got hurt. Thayer put his pads on and then practiced against a defensive lineman to see if he could handle a jolt, and they picked Tyleek for that. I'd rather see him on the field. The future is bright, though, on the defense. I just don't think this year it's going to be the kind of unit that is going to win games for them when it comes to quality opponents. So it's going to be on the offense to maintain its greatness. Let's take a quick break, come back, and get into a day of football that was just tremendous. All right, we are back. We will first go over the Big Ten, and then we will go over the national scores. And it was a wild day in college football. Michigan State remains undefeated. 31-13 over Rutgers. Is that what you expected? Not at the start of the year, but Michigan State being 6-0 is in in the top 10 or 11 or 12 this week is a surprise from the preseason point of view. Uh, They're a team I don't think that's going to hold up. Their schedule is going to get much more difficult much sooner, and that team is built around playing decent defense and having Kenneth Walker run the ball the whole game. So – uh, you know, Sparty's a team that's starting 6-0 and and probably finishes 8-4 and with the way their schedule's going to be. But, you know, that's a nice, pleasant surprise in the toughest division in college football, which is the Big Ten East. Michigan State obviously watched the Ohio State tape in the Rutgers secondary and exploited it as such. Wisconsin 24, Illinois 0. Not a good day for Bart. Oh, Bert. Whatever, he's, he's, he's at Illinois, and he goes to Wisconsin in a year. That's what he's got circled. But Wisconsin needed some sort of win. It's been an ugly season for them so far. I watched virtually every snap of the Iowa-Penn State game. But first, let's bring this back to Ohio State and note the biggest difference between Penn State and Ohio State is second-string quarterback, third-string quarterback, And fourth-string quarterback. Once Sean Clifford went down, Penn State was a shell of itself, and the game completely changed. They put in Taquan Robertson, and he just was not a good player. Did not look ready. They would have begged for a Kyle McCord. Where's he from? Jack Miller or Quinn Ewers to go in there. Yeah, Penn State's defense is good enough that they just need a mediocre quarterback like Clifford to be on the field. Uh, Penn State was the better team yesterday. Uh, with their quarterback in, they win that football game. I don't know if that's much debate, but Iowa now getting the win is going to go to 12-0 and because if you look at the second half of their schedule, there's nobody. I mean, who's the best team left of them? I think it's Minnesota, Nebraska. I'm not sure who, but I can tell you this much. Iowa is going to go to 12-0, and and everybody's going to be looking at them, going, and they're going to be sitting at number like two or three the rest of the year until the Big Ten Championship, and everybody's going to look at them and go, they're not really that good, and – there's not going to be really any opportunity to disprove it until the Big Ten Championship when they play Ohio State or Penn State. And the reality is Penn State was the better team. No doubt, no doubt in my mind. Penn State's the better football team. And now the big question for them is, is how hurt is Clifford because their backup quarterback was awful, just absolutely awful. You can't so, run a program like that and talk about your expectations and have a backup quarterback like that. Yeah, dude, that guy had no business being on the football field. And Penn State hasn't had a good quarterback in years. I mean, Clifford is, you know, a game management kind of mediocre starter player. 
I've never been a big fan of him. But, man, they make him look like he's like Joe Namath or something out there whenever you see the guys replacing him. I mean, Franklin has to do a better job getting quarterbacks, but, you know, he didn't, considering imagine, you know, how, how much it would have helped to have Kyle McCord. And, by the way, this is the sort of game that is going to make people who are conspiracy-minded to look at Penn State's alumni base and everybody who's connected to McCord through the back end in Pennsylvania and be like, you're not going to play at OSU next year now that Stroud's here. You know, there's, uh, there's a, there's a million-dollar NIL deal waiting for you to come to play for us next year, too. That's going to be every conspiracy-minded person out there. And I know a few Penn State grads. One of my best friends is a Penn State grad. And even he was saying that yesterday, talking to me after the game, about how much money from NIL do we have to spend to get McCord to come back to Penn State. So, you know, this is going to be a discussion point for us for a long time, as long as Kyle McCord's not starting at OSU. But end of the day, Penn State should have won that game. They're the better team. And if Clifford can't play for a couple weeks, well, if he's not able to play OSU on Halloween, they don't have a prayer. Full strength, I think Ohio State's the better team. But without Sean Clifford, that's going to be an ugly game. I think you're going to get all those people who started to worry about Ohio State getting back into the playoff mix, complain that Iowa is going to be a Thanksgiving turkey for Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. That's what you're going to start to get there. As far as quarterbacking, Penn State's already got a good quarterback coming in next year, and his name is Drew Aller from Medina High School. By the way, our Mark Porter saw him the other night, and we'll have a great updated review of a guy Ohio State has offered, Drew Aller, coming up shortly. Let's move on. Oh, Lord, Mr. Martinez. Michigan defeats Nebraska 32-29. It was a late game, and I'm sure some of you are hearing this for the first time. Nebraska had the ball tied late, and Adrian Martinez fumbled. It's somewhat controversial. Michigan got it back and made the game-winning field goal. But what do you make of Michigan eking out a victory over Nebraska? Well, first of all, Nebraska has now lost three games to rated teams by less than a score. So it's been a year of heartbreak for them. And Adrian Martinez, uh, you know, here's the thing. Scott Frost's career at Nebraska is totally different if he makes one phone call to Joe Burrow about three years ago. So that <laughs> think about that for <laughs> maybe four years ago, whenever he was. Maybe he answers the phone. Exactly. You know, the reality at the end of the day for, for, for Nebraska is, Adrian Martinez is just not quite good enough. He's just short every game, and it's been a repeated theme. He's not a winner. I don't know how else to put it. It sounds kind of mean, but it's true. Nebraska probably should have won that game. They were driving for the winning field goal with all the momentum at home when that fumble happened. Flip side is Michigan is not that good. They're, they're being revealed slowly as the team that played a butt schedule to start the year. And now that they're getting into a little bit of decent competition, because Nebraska is decent this year, and Frost seems to have them like not too far away. He, I think he's one respectable quarterback away from them being a good team again. Not like, you know, championship good, but like eight or nine wins good. And uh, Michigan, you know, barely came out of that with a win. Michigan has played nobody really good this year. Uh, reality is I, I don't know if they're even better than Sparty. <laughs> and we're going to find that out on Halloween. But end of the day, this is your classic Michigan starts the year hot and everybody gets all excited and their quarterback's a Heisman candidate. And then by the end of the year, they've lost three or four games. Ohio State is way better than Michigan. And uh, now that OSU's defense has sort of solidified itself, you know, it'll be the game like usual. But at the end of the day, I know which team's the favorite here. And I feel like if Ohio State was playing them this week, they'd be favored by 14. So, you know, <laughs> Michigan's in the top 10. Yay, that's fun while it's going to last. And all that other fun stuff, and they're not as bad as they were last year. They are not in Ohio State's class. They're not in Penn State's class if Sean Clifford's healthy. 
you know, any non-prolific offense isn't going to be able to threaten Ohio State. And I don't see that in Michigan. Just non-prolific would be a way to describe them. All right. Let's tackle some incredible national action. We will go in order. As I was sitting at the Ohio State game and checking my phone, I thought Texas would beat Oklahoma. And I think I was right until Oklahoma did what I thought they wouldn't do, which was bench Spencer Rattler, who I've never been sold on. D.C. native Caleb Williams comes in. They stage an epic comeback. Our hope that Ohio State would jump Oklahoma in the ratings, not going to happen. No. And honestly, I was sitting there. uh, I turned that game off. I I was like, all right, well, Oklahoma's lost. And then they had that huge comeback. And Texas did everything dumb that they could do. It was like Tom Herman took the program over whenever they had a three-touchdown lead. And the next thing that happens, Oklahoma somehow still wins. Now, I'm not convinced it's going to happen. Oklahoma still gave up 48 points in a game. And they have to play Oklahoma State still, potentially twice, who I think Oklahoma State's the best team in that conference. And at this point, the Big 12 probably hasn't gained enough cachet that unless they're champs undefeated, I don't see them as a playoff conference. And I don't think a lot of people do. So end of the day, you know, it, it would have been really the it would have added to the craziness of a day where three top 10 teams already lost. But I don't think Oklahoma is going to be a team that's going to be sitting with a zero next to its name in the loss column for very long. That's uh, they're on borrowed time to me. Okay, moving on. Here's what we know. There is a very clear number one. Georgia was ranked number two, beat Auburn 34 to 10. We'll get to why they're going to jump in a minute here, but Georgia's defense is that good. Now, their quarterback, who has one of those Trustafarian names, I can't remember, is a good little player. He's not a pro. But with that defense, and they're pretty clever on offense, I think Georgia's the clear number one. What do you think? Yeah, I agree completely. Georgia's defense is the best unit we've seen on either side of the ball in the country this year so far. Uh, I don't think JT Daniels is much of a quarterback. I agree with you. He's that kid. No, but he didn't play quarterback here. yesterday. Oh, he the didn't? Stedman Bennett guy did. Oh, my God. Stedman Bennett? The issue that Georgia has at court, uh, with their offense, right? We just talked about teams that have prolific offenses giving Ohio State trouble. What's the score if OSU plays Georgia, right? Like, I don't think Georgia has much of an offense that's going to put up a major number against the Buckeyes, right? And I, I didn't I watch about much that. Of that yeah, see, I hope that too. I don't know, man. They're pretty good. Their offense has some good players. They're the best team in the country so far this year. They should be number one. I don't disagree. My theoretical question is if OSU keeps getting better and keeps playing the way they are, is Georgia going to be able to score enough to beat the Buckeyes whenever I think OSU is going to put up some points on that defense? The real yeah. question, though, will be, is does Ohio State have the offense that can solve Georgia? If you look, they were averaging giving up like five points a game coming into this game, which was a touchdown better than anybody else in the country. Now, they didn't uh, what they give up. Yeah, 10 points at Auburn to the fighting Bo Nixes. But the question is, can you put up 24 points on them? Because if you do and you have a decent defense, a really good defense, I think they're beatable. I do hope to see Georgia play Alabama. Speaking of which, I am shocked. Texas A&M defeats Alabama 41-38. I was not sold on Jimbo Fisher and his crew. They've had some seriously questionable losses this year. The best part of this is the offseason chatter between the two coaches is going to get seriously thrown in Big Nick's face. Your thoughts on what I'm shocked by the result? Yeah, I did not see that coming. And this is the kind of result that makes me feel like it's 2007 all over again. This is one of those... Games that you just simply can't explain. 
because I agree with you. I don't think Aggie's very good. Aggie, I think they were three and two going in that game, and they should have probably had another loss. Remember Colorado almost beat them? That's the same Colorado team that put up 60 total yards of offense the next week against Minnesota. So, you know, this is the kind of game that uh, it, it doesn't mean the SEC is deep. It means that Bama's not that great. And, you know, it was a game that, hey, is a big upset with a big, excited crowd. And that part was fun. But it also, I think, puts a real serious dent in the SEC's argument that two of their teams should make the playoff. Because if you had two undefeated teams going into a situation where they were undefeated in the SEC championship game playing each other, sure. But now that there's a loss on the docket for the uh, for the Crimson Tide, I don't know if you can make that same argument at the end of the year. So it's going to be real interesting to see how this plays out because they're going to sell us this week that Georgia versus Kentucky is somehow like a big game and Kentucky's a great team. And, you know, this is, this is like 2007. And I, I said this in the bucket today. 2007 has all the top teams losing. You have really weird top five teams where you have, you know, teams like Iowa and Cincinnati and maybe Kentucky and, you know, Michigan State having the year they're having. Reality is at the end of the day, there a lot of teams are beating teams that they don't have business beating. And I think it's just a veteran level. So it is what it is, I guess. But I, I, to me, this is a shocker of a game. It also just absolutely rolls out the red carpet for Ohio State. If you look at the rankings, they're going to be ranked. What do we think? We talked about before the show. We think it's going to be starting at the top. Georgia, number one. Iowa, number two. Cincinnati, number three. Then what? Oklahoma, number four. Ohio State, number five. Or Alabama, number five. And then Ohio State or Alabama at six. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think that's dead nuts on. I think the reality is OSU is fifth or sixth at worst. I think coming off of a, a, a bad loss for Bama, there's no other way to spin it. And with OSU winning their game by a massive margin yesterday, you may see Ohio State well pass the uh, may well pass against the uh, uh, the Crimson Tide in the rankings, and probably they should because right now OSU's loss looks a little bit well. They're probably about equal, I guess, because OSU was at home. End of the day, though, I think it's going to be number five, number six for OSU, and that's totally fine for right now because at the end of the day. I firmly believe the Big Ten champs in the playoff. That simple. And Ohio State takes care of business the rest of the way. We can, we'll can we be talking about who they're playing in the Final Four. That simple. So I, I think OSU comes in around five or six. I think Penn State falls a little further because nobody really knows what's sure with Clifford going on. I think Michigan and Michigan State will creep their way up. I think Kentucky will jump into the top ten because they're SEC, and that's how they do. But other than that, you know, at the end of the day, I think this is going to be – you know, it's going to be a really interesting week to see how it shapes up because next week's not a great week of games, so we maybe won't get a bunch of movement. We're having this conversation next week about top 10 teams losing. Then you know this year is going off the rails. Yeah, Ohio State has a bye week, so there will be no Bucknuts almost live next weekend. But this much is clear, really, and I said it to start the show, all of Ohio State's goals are laid out clearly in front of them. They're not even complicated. If they went out, it will be the Big Ten championship game against Iowa and then the college football playoff. We appreciate back stopping by. Hope he has a great day on the ice. Have a good one, Bucknutters.